Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all gathered in this Sunday morning. Good to see a great turnout uh, of you all gathered in our church building this Sunday morning. And you're all very welcome, be it in person or online. If you're watching currently on our church app or through Facebook Live, later on on YouTube, or listening through our CD ministry later, you're all very welcome. And we trust and pledge you'll be blessed with the ministry here this morning. And on your behalf, it gives me great pleasure to welcome the Reverend Ken Nelson to our pulpit this morning. Ken's no stranger to the Presbytery locally, having uh, been Minister of Casawellan Presbyterian Church for a number of years. So you're very welcome, uh, Reverend Nelson. It's good to have you with us. And in, in conjunction with that, we also welcome your wife, Marlene, who's no stranger to the PW here. So you're welcome to Marlene. And we hope that you enjoy your time with us. And we look forward to hearing what the Lord has laid upon your heart for each of us this morning. Now I just have a few announcements to go through uh, for everybody's attention. So tomorrow evening is a church committee meeting, so be mindful of that at 7.30 p.m. And that will be taking place here in the church building because we're still mindful of COVID and the restrictions and we're trying to encourage as many people from the congregation to come out for the first part of that meeting which is at half past seven on to eight o'clock. Well, that's an opportunity for you to come along to hear from our treasurer to be updated on the church finances and the opportunity for you also to ask a few questions. So the congregation's invited from half seven until eight-ish, let's say, and then from eight through, if the church committee would remain behind, we'll conclude the remaining part of uh, the meeting. On Wednesday evening, Midweek uh, Bible study will commence at 8 o'clock. And also to the young people, just to say that both GB and BB is currently postponed until further notice. The, the, the officers are meeting online this week to discuss uh, reopening dates again. So keep an eye out for those dates when they pop up uh, through all of the social media networks. Next Saturday, the Men's Fellowship are planning a walk to Sleeve Donard, to the top of Sleeve Donard. So if anybody interested in that, if you could speak with Neil Cheney, and he will uh, update you on all of the arrangements. Next Sunday morning, the 6th of February, the speaker will be the Reverend George McClelland. And just a note too from the Treasurer to ask all Treasurers and Secretaries of all organisations if they could submit their accounts and reports as soon as possible, please. That would be very much appreciated. And just finally to say uh, to the church membership that if you're currently a smartphone user, uh, be it Apple or Android or whatever that might be, or if you have an iPad or something like that, make sure to download our church app. The church app is updated every week. That's where you'll currently find all of the church announcements, uh, everything's there for your convenience. So if you haven't already done that, download the app and you'll see under the news and information uh, the church announcements and also on the calendar. You'll be able to click into the calendar and you'll be updated on all the events that are relevant to church life. So that keeps you all updated in the interim period until such times as we can get back to uh, paper handout announcements again. And just finally to say that even though there may be rumours out there about the guidelines about removing of face masks during church services, I haven't got official confirmation of that just at the moment. So just for today, if we could all keep our masks on during church service, and then I will hopefully have an update on restrictions within the next few days. 
Thank you, Reverend Nelson. Thank you for your kind words of welcome. It is nice to be back amongst you. I've been here before at least once, uh, maybe not on a Sunday, but at some other occasion, and I've uh, been involved in uh, the installation of your previous minister. I remember that very fondly. Um, just in relation to the, the mention of masks, etc., you know, of course, it's not all about regulations and what's allowed. It's what's for the best. So we all encourage one another to think of one another in that respect and to be aware that there are many, many vulnerable people in the community. So keep that in mind as you think about how you navigate yourself through these regulations and difficult times. Uh, but we come today, and let me just give you a, a word of scripture which will at first seem quite strange, and I will then make a connection to this later on in the service. It comes from Second Chronicles, and it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Do you ever think of God's eyes scanning about the world, scanning about the earth, scanning about indeed this congregation? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let's pray together. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We come to singing uh, God's praise, a lovely choice of hymn, based on one of the Psalms, as the tear pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Let's rise and sing.
Now we come before God in prayer. We have expressed our desire to worship God. So in the words of this hymn, let's draw our attention to the one that we are indeed worshiping. Let us pray. Name of all majesty, fathomless mystery, king of the ages by angels adored, power and authority, splendor and dignity, by to his mastery, Jesus is Lord. We acknowledge the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, revealed to us in and through our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we meet today, and it's his name we seek to honor. The Savior of Calvary, costliest victory, Darkness defeated, Eden restored, born as a man to die, nailed to the cross on high, cold in the grave to lie. But Jesus is Lord. He's the source of all sovereignty. He's the light, immortality. He's life everlasting and heaven assured. And so with the ransomed, we praise him the living Lord, eternally. Christ in his majesty. Jesus is Lord. Lord, you've revealed in your word that Christ is the Lord and that before him every knee will bow. And so this day, Lord, we confess our need of him, our need of his great salvation, And we pray that in this service that we share together, this service of worship, we pray that his name might be honored and that we would be prepared and ready to meet him when he comes or calls. Bless us this day and bless those uh, watching, listening on other media this day. We pray, Lord, for those uh, struggling at this time. Pray for encouragement this day. We ask, Lord, for those with physical pain and illness that you would touch, give strength, even restore. We pray, Lord, for the young faced with all sorts of uncertainty as far as their education goes in these days. We ask, O Lord, for protection, for guidance, for good teachers. We pray, Lord, for this congregation looking at the future, wondering what will happen, who will be their minister. We pray, O God, for guidance, wisdom. But most of all, Lord, we pray for a deepening sense of fellowship and purpose in these days so that your work prospers, so that your name is glorified, so that Christ's kingdom is extended. We ask for his sake. Amen. Now, returning to the scriptures, and since I am uh, booked to come more than once, uh, I'm beginning a series with you on the book of Nehemiah. So if you watch the space for when I'm returning again, then you'll know we're picking up on the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is maybe uh, not that much known about, uh, maybe not that much spoken on. Um, I trust you'll begin from being taken through this particular book in a a series for as long as I'm with you. 
And uh, what I'd like to sort of say before we read together from Nehemiah chapter 1 is that news for us comes in all sorts of forms these days, doesn't it? Whether it's social media, whether it's printed. Uh, maybe, does, would anybody like to indicate if they still buy a newspaper? There are some still buying newspapers. Uh, for some, that seems very odd. You know, why would you bother? But when news comes, whatever way it comes, sometimes there's particular news items that you remember vividly. And you, are, you, you have trigger points whereby that jogs your memory about that particular thing. Now, what am I meaning? For example, you may remember where you were or what you were doing at the time when the aeroplanes were, were flown into the Twin Towers in New York. And that sort of is in your mind and little things trigger that, that, that that event takes you to where you were at the time. Or it may indeed be the, the, uh, a tragic event. Last evening there was a, a musical thing on the television from Manchester and I believe that was the same arena as the Ariana Grande concert where they, the terrorist or the, the man, misguided man let off a bomb and different ones were injured and killed. And maybe you remember where you were. I certainly remember where I was that night because I was at a different concert and we were calling for an encore from the musician that was playing. And it's just, it's locked there in my mind. And certain trigger points like that last evening takes me back there. And I remember vividly what was happening on that occasion. Now, it might be some other event. It might be a music track that takes you on a memory journey. It might be a smell. It could be a photograph. It could be somewhere you pass on the road. And either it triggers off and takes you back to something sad or tragic or something very happy and joyous. Well, Nehemiah will never forget, it seems, where he was when he heard the news about Jerusalem. And this man was, was shocked. This man was moved. This man was uh, disturbed. But he was moved into action, which we'll be here about. So, as we read the passage, we read this first chapter of the book, keep that in mind. This man is writing this, telling this, it's recorded in Scripture for us as something that's vivid in his mind. I was here when I heard that. Let's hear God's word together. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive to and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. 
I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and, and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then like a footnote, the section concludes, I was a cupbearer to the king. The man in the royal court remembers clearly where he was, what he was doing, how he felt when he heard about the state of Jerusalem. Thus far, in God's word, we give him thanks. Now, boys and girls, young people, I'm so... Uh, Sad in these days that we can't gather you around the front and interact with you more closely. But I want to tell you that I heard a word that I knew very well just last week. And I thought, you know, there's a word that teaches me so much. I wonder, can you guess what it is? It's a word that we can put to good use for God but it's a word that we already know. And if you know it too, it's a word that could make all the difference to so many sentences and so many things we say. You want to have a guess? Say it loudly. No, it's not that. You have to shout very loud now. Oh. It's not your fault, it's mine. These are old ears. You see them? The way they hang low. These are old ears and they can't hear you. <laughs> I'll give you some clues. The, the word can make different, a big difference in your life and the first letter of it is a Y. Okay. Yes. That begins with Y and it has the right number of letters. But it's not the word. Okay? The last letter of it, the last letter of it, what was the first one? A Y. Okay? What's the last one? The last one's a T. I think you've got it. Okay? I think you've got it. I wish I could lip read at that distance. Is that what you said? I see the heads nodding. It's the word yet. Okay, now, folks, some of you are in school, and I used to be a school teacher, and I used to sometimes hear from students, pupils in my class, I can't do that. And I remember a big girl who uh, 
I've met in her adult life, and she said, Mr. Nelson, I can't do that. Now, what happens when you say that? It's kind of the end, isn't it? It's kind of, we're not going to go any further. But you add this word to the end of that sentence, and it makes all the difference. Mr. Nelson, I can't do that yet. You get the message? Now, when you're struggling, boys and girls, if you're struggling with your homework, if you're struggling in a a wee group of people, if you're struggling uh, with sums or trying to learn your French or your Spanish or whatever the language is that you're having to learn at secondary school, and you say, I just can't do this, stick that word on the end. I can't do it. What is it? Yet. Now, what's going to make the difference? What's going to help make the difference? Well, simply working at it a bit more, trying a bit more, putting a bit more time into it. All of that changes everything. And whether you're feeling low, in a bad mood, feeling sad, I'm not happy. And change it to, I'm not happy yet. I'm not feeling better yet. And suddenly you've added hope and possibility into the whole thinking. Now someone was telling this in the context of mental health. And when you add that word yet to the end of some of the things that vex you, you can change your whole approach to them. So how do we do this? What are we going to do with this when it comes to things like faith and things like trusting God and things like understanding the Bible? Well, you could say this. I don't understand everything about the Bible. What happens if you stop there? You're beat, aren't you? But add the word yet. And what does it sound like? I don't understand everything about the Bible yet. And it opens the possibility, I could understand more about the Bible. I could understand more about what God says and how he loves me. And what about knowing Jesus? What about knowing Jesus yourself? I don't know Jesus at all. I haven't got the faith. Change it to, I don't know Jesus yet which means I could know Jesus. And what about, I mentioned Jesus coming back, Jesus' return. What about we say, I'm not ready for Jesus returning. Well, that's our sentence. What if, what if Jesus was to come back today and you're thinking, I'm not ready if he was to come back today. Well, add yet to the end of the sentence. I'm not ready for Jesus to return yet. But yet I could be ready. I could trust him. I could know him. I could ask him to take away my sins. I could ask him into my life. I could say, Lord, I know I need you. And I don't know you yet. But I would love to know you. And be ready for your return. So what's the big word you're going to take home today? Come on, Ralph Friday. What's the word you're going to take home today? Yet. 
and put that onto some of the sentences that you use and see what difference it makes. Okay? May the Lord bless you. Indeed. We're going to sing a hymn, one of the loveliest hymns probably ever penned because of its simplicity. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, my wife would tell a story about the ladies all going off at a time to, what was it, Focus Fest or one of those things at ladies' conferences. And the ladies coming back to our church in Lurgan saying, oh, the praise was wonderful. And she challenged her, well, could you remember what you were singing? Oh, we sang Jesus Loves Me. And was it Geraldine Laffey, Marlene, was the leader? And such a simple hymn, realizing Jesus loves me. Tremendous. Let's sing it and worship him and tell him we're glad that he loves us and we can love him too.
Now I understand some of the boys and girls that leave us at this stage. And boys and girls, don't forget that word yet. And don't be using it against your mum and dad by saying, I haven't tidied my room yet. Which might mean that you're not going to tidy it. Now let's buy again for a word of prayer. Let's remember those teaching our young ones in these days. And let's come before God in prayer about the various things that are in the news and causing us distress and which ought to point us more to looking to the Lord in these times. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for young and old alike gathered in this place. We thank you for the the band of children that are about and those that have gone into the other room. Thank you for the little babies shouting out, wanting to join in the noise and the, the buzz of the place. Thank you for children looking attentively at the screen and seeking to, to sing along, to worship. We pray, Lord, in these days you would teach them good things through their teachers. Enable them to know that Jesus does indeed love and wants the best for them. And Lord, there are those of us that are parents and grandparents that see our young people going astray. And we pray, Lord, that you would send after them the hound of heaven and draw them back. Bring them into the fold, Lord, and restore them to the place some of them once were. Rescue some of them, Lord, from the the perils that are out there and the temptations of this world. Father God, enable us in these days to continue to work and witness amongst our young people. Bless those who teach them across in the school there and others in the district. And we pray, Lord, for godly teachers. We pray for protection in these days. And protection, Lord, over the whole legislation changes which might seek to remove Christian education and ethos from our schools. And we pray, O God, that you'd grant wisdom to our legislators on these days and wisdom to our parent governors to see the danger and to work against it. Father God, we pray again for the land. We pray again for the nation. We remember the state of our world and the tensions rising over in Ukraine and Russia and Crimea. Father God, save Europe and Eastern Europe from yet another conflict, we pray. Father God, we know, and today's lesson shows us that you move in the minds and the hearts of leaders and nations at times to bring about your purpose. And we pray, O God, that you would do what is your will. We pray that, Lord, in relation to leadership in our own land, where much is said about failure and little about achievement, where much is said about rights and political advantage and maybe less about the people that really hurt. We pray, O God, for our leaders in these days, none of them perfect, but Lord, enable us to show due respect in all aspects where that is honouring to you. 
Now, Lord, as we come to your word, as we look at this book, enable us to learn of you. Enable us to apply to our lives and to the work and witness of the church here. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, if you have your Bible, whether it's on a smart apparatus, uh, you must be very internet savvy and mobile phone apparatus savvy if you have your own app in this church. But those of you listening at home or listening by other means or watching by other means, have your Bible ready and looking to see where some of these references are from and follow in God's word so that when you go back and read it, then that brings you back to some of the things you've heard today. Nehemiah, as I said earlier, would never forget his situation that day whenever he was hearing the news of the state of Jerusalem. Now, so that you've got this in a bit of context, there hopefully will be pictures and slides coming up behind me. One was of uh, really a model of Jerusalem and the extent of it. You might have seen a wall around that. But the period of history that we're talking about is into the rule of a Persian king under which Nehemiah served. And you'll know through the understanding of the Bible that what happened that was that Israel was a nation, was established, and then they went wayward, they went rebellious, and God used other nations to chastise them, to punish them. Ultimately, they were taken into exile at the time of Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And when we think about Bible names, that captivity period is associated with the likes of Daniel, with the likes of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. It's associated with Esther and Mordecai. It's associated with Ezra, the book that's beside Nehemiah and Nehemiah itself. We're talking about the period of history about 600, 500, 400 B.C., whenever Jerusalem is being rebuilt after this exile period. So realize that this isn't sort of the events of one week we're making reference to here. These are the events that take us over a span of a couple of centuries. And in those couple of centuries, and indeed throughout the history of Israel, God had used nations both for and against his people. He commanded Israel to go and occupy the land and to overthrow the land of of those and to rid the land of all of those who weren't God worshippers and to set up true worship. And that worship center was in Jerusalem. You know prior to that from your Bible knowledge that in the wilderness days there was a tabernacle and the people uh, set up the tabernacle and encamped around it. Well if you like Jerusalem and Israel as a land and a city was a more solid version of all of that where the city was set on a hill uh, we sang of that uh, sort of earlier in, in reference to the Psalms that we were singing uh, of Jerusalem being there and it being the center of worship, it being the center of rule, it being the center of governance. And the heyday of that was during the time of King David and King Solomon. Whenever everything was united, the nation had peace. And that's a model of what God is intending for his world 
that the world would be ultimately at peace under the one King, one Saviour, Jesus, around whose throne we will worship. So there's a general picture. Now there's some general lessons that we learn from that. I've mentioned already in passing. The first of those, God does move in the affairs of nations. Now we, we get ourselves into hot water and difficulty if we try to pick that out and say, well, God is doing that and that's why that's happening. It's very hard for us to connect A to B and say that cause there results in that effect. And there's a big debate, of course, currently about this pandemic. Is this God's judgment upon us? Ultimately, we won't know whether God is judging us with this or not. But rest assured of this, God does judge. And rest assured of this, that God does move in the affairs of nations for his own purposes. So some of the disturbing things that are happening within our world... We pray about them, we pray against them, and so on. But we, we do not know, ultimately, how God is moving the affairs on the global stage to suit his ultimate purpose. Because he is Lord, and he is God, and he will do with nations and leaders as he see fits. That is evident when you read the history of Israel and how God moves with Cyrus, the king, well, uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king uh, moves with the kings of the nations and so on. So keep that in mind. It will only be in hindsight, maybe only in eternity, that we will understand God's movement within the nations, even in our day. But the second thing to, to take, just as a general lesson, while God moves in this way, and while that makes God fearful and awesome and maybe we could say dreadful and unpredictable, underneath and running through all of it, is he's faithful. That came out in the passage that we read. Nehemiah addresses a God that he, that he knows is faithful to his covenant purposes because God has a plan for this universe that he has made. And it's a plan of redemption. And restoration to himself for those who will come by the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. So two, if you like, passing points before really looking into Nehemiah. Psalms 103 and 105 gather those particular things together about God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. So there's a, a loving aspect of God, but there is a dreadful and fearful aspect because he is holy and we are not. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. We can't get away from that. But he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. That's my way of background and introduction. Now here's three points to keep us focused on what we learn and what we see in this passage in Nehemiah. First of all, there's the situation. I've put, I trust they come up, little uh, emojis on that. So the first one there goes with a smiley face, or a sad face. The situation caused Nehemiah great distress. Then there's the supplication or the prayer that he offers 
And so we have a little praying icon. And then we have a happy face because it doesn't end there with the supplication. It goes into action where he prays to be sent to be part of the solution. That's kind of the guidelines to keep us right as we look at this. Now, when you look into the second chapter, and Nehemiah, as we read, has gone through this prayer, his prayer preparation, and he goes into the king on a certain time, and look at verse 2 of chapter 2. You can't hide what's on your face. Well, we can these days with the mask, but it sometimes shows in the eyes, doesn't it? You can't hide what's going on in the heart. It does tend to work its way into your face. And that's what happened. Nehemiah's going about his business in the court of King Artaxerxes. And the king says, and we'll use the Northern Ireland vernacular, what's wrong with your face? What's wrong with your face today? Who licked the cream out of your bun? The king knew something was wrong. And what was wrong? Well, it was the situation regarding Jerusalem that was greatly vexing Nehemiah. Now, what's a wee bit of the background to that? Under Ezra and under the Reformation of Ezra, what had happened um, decades earlier was that people started returning from captivity in Babylon. Bear in mind, some of them were born in captivity, Nehemiah probably amongst them, born in captivity, and he'd heard about, oh, great, Jerusalem's being rebuilt, the land's being reestablished, our homeland is being restored. And there was great enthusiasm under Ezra to start the rebuilding process. And it went well. And they got the temple, a sort of temple, not anything like what it used to be. They got that rebuilt. There was a a revival. And there was a revival in the hearts of people to a true religion, the worship of God, where God was intended to be worshipped. But what happens after revival? If you care to read about Northern Ireland revival, and this church was influenced by it, you'll learn very quickly that there's, there's a peak. And then it troughs afterwards. There's always a decline. And some of that decline comes about because people get busy with other things. Other priorities come in and take away from the priority of the kingdom. Or maybe it's other practices come in. Or it's carelessness comes in and people depart from true worship. And that's what happened in the time of Ezra. There was a great peak of activity. There was great uh, progress. And the, the worship center was established and sacrifices were ongoing. The priests were there doing all the things that they did. And the people thought, well, this is it. We can now get on with our own lives and start building our own farms. Start building our own livelihoods. Because we have to live after all. And the enthusiasm for the things of God had waned. And so the work had stalled. And that's what happens and that's what Nehemiah hears about. It was going well but the work has stalled. And the walls and the gates and so on are still looking dreadful. They're still as they were after the conflict all those years ago when Babylon invaded and destroyed. So that's the situation. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1 again. He hears about that. He hears about the state of affairs of the physical city, but the, the, the loss and activity amongst the people 
When I heard of these things, I sat down and wept for some days. And I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. The man was moved, moved deeply because of the state of affairs of the beloved city, Jerusalem. What's at the heart of all of that? The heart of all of that is he was grieved and moved because God's name wasn't being honored. God's name was being forgotten. There was worship practices going on, but they weren't prioritized. The people weren't where they ought to be, and they weren't doing what they ought to be doing. And so he seeks God's face in prayer. And that brings us to the second point, the supplication. Seeking God's face. Now, it would be wrong, I think, and this is my view only, it would be wrong to think that this man stops everything and goes into a 24-7 prayer meeting. And he's on his knees till there's calluses on them. I think as he went about his daily business, he yearned, he prayed, Lord, Lord, what about Jerusalem? What, what, what can we do about this? You are a faithful God. You keep covenant. You have promised that this will be our land, our city, and you will be honored and worshipped there. And look, at it's a mess. And so he prays, and he prays a prayer of supplication. And there's yearning in his voice. Now notice, as I read through that, notice that it did say, he confessed. He confessed that he was part of the problem. Does that not surprise you a little bit? He's working away here with doing his duties in the royal courts. He's been brought up in exile. It was other people who went away to Jerusalem and were rebuilding and then stalled. So he wasn't guilty of that. But yet he says, I have sinned. I haven't prioritized. I haven't looked at this. And I am part of this people that haven't looked at it and what that is folks is really it's like you and I saying there's a big problem out there in the church there's a big problem they should be doing this and they should be doing that and they should be doing the other thing folks let the fingers point back to yourself we should be doing this because we're part of the problem we should be fixing this we as Nehemiah was here should be concerned about this. Moved within our hearts, both in confession and a reminder of God's faithfulness and then a determination to be involved in the solution. You might think I watch a lot of television. I don't think I do. I probably watch more than I used to because there's a wee bit more time. But there was a tremendous but very disturbing documentary on this week, and we watched the highlight of it yesterday, about Holocaust Memorial. I don't know how those programs affect you, but every time I watch anything of that nature, there's something just a weight. I, I, when I heard it was on, I thought, I'm, I'm not, I can't face watching this, looking at this today, but I will look at it. Tremendous. Tremendous to have the program makers and indeed the commission to have the, the portraits painted of what are the, rem, the remnant, remnant of survivors of the Holocaust. But how does that affect you? How do those other awful things in our world affect you? Does it generate that 
yearning, that heaviness of heart, that sort of, you can't put it into words, expression towards God of, Lord, you've got to come and do something because we've made such a mess of your world. That's the kind of heart I think we're talking about with Nehemiah. That's the supplication that provokes him to pray as he does. And at the heart of it, as I said, it's about the glory of God. And God not getting his priority. God not being represented as he needs to be represented within the structure, the edifice, all the rest of it of Jerusalem. It just was a mockery to the living God. Some time ago, during the the more intense lockdown period, we were doing a a Bible study on Zoom with others uh, from the Castlewellen area. And it was on the book of Ezekiel. Confusing book in some respects, but it deals with the period of the early exile and it deals with the period of the destruction of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. And what happens at that stage to the glory of God? Listen to these words. They come from Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 22. If you're looking at your Bible for that, Ezekiel 11:22, or indeed taking notes to look at it later. And here's what Ezekiel sees. Now, we're, we're going back several years now, back to the time of the destruction, and back to the time when the glory of God leaves Jerusalem. Then the cherubim and the wheel, with the wheels beside them spread their wings and the glory of God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountains east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylon in the vision given by the Spirit of God. What's Ezekiel seeing? It's almost as if there's this animated version of God's glory represented in Jerusalem being carried off, going off into exile with the people where the center of God's glory has moved from the geographical location because it's been destroyed. Folks, here's the concerning, challenging comment that I want to make at that. Would it ever cross your mind that the glory of God is absent from the church in Ireland? Would it ever cross your mind that the glory of God is not visibly present within the Presbyterian church here in Rathfriland? Would it ever occur to you that things aren't as they ought to be and we can see that things are not as they ought to be anywhere, not just here? And the glory of God is absent. Is there a yearning? Is there a supplication? Is there a heartfelt, Lord, you are the God who is faithful and you've said you will build your church and I want to see it built because your name isn't being honored the way things are. And we can point the finger this way, that way, and the other way and say this happened, that happened. So-and-so fell out with so-and-so or I don't like what the Presbyterian church is doing. I don't want to run off to one of those other fellowships where all things are great. 
No, they're not, folks. Don't kid yourself. Because we're all people and we're all sinners and we're all rebellious. And we'll all make a mess no matter where we are. But what about the glory of God in your life? Is it there yet? What about the glory of God in your fellowship? Is it there yet? Was it there? And has it left? Is there concern? Is there deep concern? Are you identifying with the problem? Are you saying, I and I have sinned along with this people? We have neglected your ways. That was Nehemiah's prayer. I say that ought to be ours as well. And so it brings me to the third point. Have you heard of the expression putting skin in the game? I think it's more American, but you know the way we steal things from the Americans all the time and think we're awfully clever? Well, putting skin in the game, I think, is, comes from the American football where you, you go in and you play hard. Okay, It might be used on the rugby field where you go in and you play hard. You put skin in the game. There's no point in sitting on the terraces or sitting on the, the reserve bench waiting for a turn. You've got to put skin in the game to make a difference. So Nehemiah is prepared to put skin in in the game. And what he goes to the king, he says, what's wrong with your face? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with my face. I'm deeply grieved for my people, for my city, but I'm deeply grieved underneath that for the glory of God, and I want to put skin in the game to make a difference. So the king says, verse 4 of chapter 2, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Skin in the game. Starts with the news that he heard. That made him sad. The supplication that he gave. That made him heavy but determined. And then the sending. Here am I. Send me. Oh, somebody else said that, didn't they? But he sent it to a king. And the burden went on and he took action. And what's the connection between that and the verse that I gave you at the beginning? Do you remember that verse? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. And the eyes were scanning about through those generations, through those years. Is there going to be someone who will rebuild the walls? Is there going to be someone who will lead the advancement of the glory of God in my city? Nehemiah was the man. The Lord's eyes lit upon Nehemiah. Here's a man whose heart is tuned to me. I'm going to use him. And so the king grants him permission. And the king gives him letters with permission. And the king sends him off. And the king allows him the resources to begin rebuilding the city. That's further into the series than what we're going to go today. But folks, 
The eyes of the Lord are still roaming about Rathfriland. They're still roaming about Northern Ireland. They're still roaming about to add names to the list. Nehemiah's name is on the list of those that the Lord saw wanted to be involved and put skin in the game because their hearts wanted his glory. And is your name going to be joined with those like Abraham, like Deborah, like Ruth, like Joshua, like David, like Solomon, like... Amy Carmichael, John Wesley, Mary Slessor, Billy Graham, John Stott. The list is maybe endless from a human point of view. Is your name going to be added to the list along with Nehemiah's to make a difference? In the situation that we're in here in Rathfriland, you're in vacancy, but you're still a congregation, folks. God hasn't granted you a new minister yet but he has somebody in mind for you are you going to put skin in the game and make this congregation thrive in the meantime or are you going to lament and do nothing the response is up to you may God grant you the spirit of wisdom the spirit of willingness to not say no, but to say, Lord, I want to go. I want to do. I want to be involved. Let's offer a prayer to that end. Father God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. And in your word, you have promised that you will build your church. Now, Lord, we know that that replies to the whole church across the world, across the globe, because you will gather to yourself those that you have called into your family. But, Lord, we take that and we want to look at it locally. And, Lord, we want to claim that, that you will build your church here locally, in this town, in this community. Lord, stir up the workers. Stir up the hearts and minds of young and old to put their lives on the line for you. To put skin in the game, as it were. To bring glory and honor to the Lord and head of the church, namely Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us all. Amen. We sing a concluding praise. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer.
Do you think you have to do and respond to the challenge on your own that I've given you today? Listen to how Matthew's Gospel closes. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said that. Apostle Paul says this by way of benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever. Amen.